The following program is brought to you by We Are Many. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org. Uh, thank you very much. Um, okay, so the topic is how we defeated apartheid. Uh, I've added uh, the victory of nationalism over socialism because that's what basically what happened. So uh, the victory of apartheid was uh, a great step for humanity. I mean, the United Nations called apartheid a crime against humanity. And when Nelson Mandela was released from jail, uh, everyone celebrated, uh, and rightly so. But if one is to tell the, the story of how victory was won, it is important to state from the outset that there's been always opposing views on the assessment of this victory, of how the strike was waged. Um, Apartheid officially ended in 1994 when a, a democratic government voted in to power, the government of uh, the ANC. But even today, political developments and struggles in South Africa cannot be clearly understood without understanding the different approaches and assessments of apartheid and how the struggle uh, happened. But first, before I go into these two approaches, I'll just describe what apartheid was, what people were fighting against. Well, apartheid is an Afrikaner word, Afrikaans the language in South Africa. It means separateness, being apart. Yeah. So, it was a terrible social system that divided society into black and white and gave all the privileges to white folk and did not really care about black people. They were interested in, you know, the white government. They were interested in black people insofar as they could provide, or they provided cheap labor to the system. So cheap labor in the mines, in the farms, in the factories, certainly domestic servants in white uh, uh, households. Nannies you must take care of uh, a white person's children. <coughs> so apartheid was a racist political uh, uh, and economic system. It was a form of capitalism or a capitalist state based on a legal racist foundation. So its foundation was to define people black and white. And its main aim was to secure black uh, cheap labor for the capitalist system. Black labor was highly controlled and regimented, and it was just marshaled to make super profits for the multinational corporations, uh, the mining magnates. Black people were not allowed to vote, you know, they couldn't vote. Uh, and also there was a segregation, some call it petty apartheid. On the smallest things, you know, it would say blacks this side, Sorry, whites this side, non-whites this side, non-whites. Okay, yeah. Um, but key aspects of the system were the migrant labor system, you know, where people leave the rural areas, 
went and worked in the, in the, in the mines. The pass system, so you had to have a pass, a Donbass, you know, if you were black. And if you didn't have that, they sent you to jail, yeah. Uh, influx control, this means coming to town, you had to get a permit if you were not white. Uh, Single-sex hostels and compounds. So if you leave your rural area, a village, come to Chicago, you live in a male-only dormitory. Yeah, yeah. They also had for females. <laughs> yeah, so. And then you had something called the Bantustan system. So this, so uh, apartheid, you know, it was a divide and rule system. So it divided black folk into tribes or language groups. So for example, I am a Zulu, you know, Shaga Zulu. I speak Zulu, yeah, so you are Zulu, and then uh, a language close to Zulu is Xhosa, like Mandela was Xhosa, and then a different language which is uh, not really close, Sutu, Tswana, so there are 11 official languages today in South Africa. So, you know, the country was divided into these 11 languages, and then, you know, apartheid had this dream that you know, you'd, you'd get a, a Zulu Bantustan, a homeland, where you have your own flag, your own Zulu king or whatever. <laughs> have a good time, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay, it was crazy, yeah. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah, okay. Well, it doesn't seem so bad now, you know, here in Chicago looking back. Yeah, and then also uh, what characterized apartheid was brutal state repression. Yeah, so, you know, Steve Beagle was a, a revolutionary, they killed him. Uh, Mandela spent 27 years in jail. Uh, many people died, many people were arrested, many went into exile. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, material and spiritual deprivation Discrimination was a key feature of the system. So, you know, being in, in the States, I can say that, you know, black people's lives did not matter. Yeah, yeah, they just trampled upon them, yeah. Okay, but I do want to point out that as a system of oppression and exploitation, uh, when it was implemented, it had racial, class, and gender dimensions, which are quite important uh, to note. So, how was, uh, you know, who came up with this system? How did it come about? So there are two views on the path of apartheid, okay? So one view uh, sees apartheid as having started in 1948. This is three years after the end of the Second World War. So in 1948, there was a white-only election, and then the whites voted for the National Party. The National Party, you know, is the party of apartheid, the party of Fervut, Malan, uh, John Foster, <laughs> yeah, the murderers, okay. So um, the National Party won the election on a ticket called, in Africans, Swart Khefar. So Africans come up a roughish language. Swat Khefar, which means black danger. Yeah, yeah, or 
in fact, more accurate, Black Perry, you know, Black Perry. So they said, there's a black danger, vote for us. And then the whites voted for them, yeah. So what was the basis of this black danger? During the Second World War, many white people went to the war, you know, young men, older men, and then black people started to take over the jobs. Yeah, I think even women, white women, got some freedom, went out and worked in the factory. So when the white guys came back, they felt that their jobs were gone. So the National Party mobilized around that. Also remember the British Prime Minister, he gave, uh, Macmillan, I think, he gave that famous speech, the winds of change. So basically what happened is that when Britain, when the UK, when Britain was under pressure from Hitler, you know, Britain wanted to mobilize black people, Asian people to join and fight against Hitler. So they promised uh, black people liberation from colonialism after the war. So after the war, the winds of change, it's time to deliver now, okay? Yeah, yeah. so this really frightened the white uh, Africaners. So black danger, and then they voted in. Okay, they didn't win with a big margin, but they did win, okay? And in fact, the National Party was a small party. It wasn't as big. People didn't expect it to win, but it did. And then as soon as it took power, it went all mad, you know, page apartheid, Bantustan system, etc. So one view therefore is that apartheid started when the National Party took power. So apartheid is a racist system. It's a political system based on race. Another view is that actually the National Party only built upon a foundation already laid by British imperialism. Yeah, because, you know, when the National Party took over, the past system was there, the compound system was there, the land of the black people had been stolen, so, you know, uh, all the key features were already there. Yeah. And then this view sees apartheid as a form of capitalism. Mm -hmm. So it was a a racial organization of cheap labor to serve the big mining bosses. Yeah, so you can see the difference. So this is important because now when we are fighting apartheid, some are saying, you know, I remember there was an institute, uh, you know, let's say by, which belonged to the white liberals. It was called the Institute of Race Relations. Yeah, so it focused on a vision of creating a new South Africa where there would be peace and harmony between the races. So you can see the thinking. Whereas on, the, on our side, you know, people felt that we must fight and overthrow the system. It was called the system. What is the system? It's a system of racial capitalism. So in 1973, there was uh, a big uh, strike wave in Durban, it's a coastal city, you know, out of the blue, and so you had the birth of trade unions. Later, many of these unions 
at first they were not uh, legal, but later, you know, the state was decided to legalize them. Many of these unions demanded and wanted socialism because there was this idea that you can't get rid of apartheid without getting rid of uh, 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 capitalism itself. Okay, mm. so this is quite important, and it defines for us what or how we can assess the victory of apartheid. So if apartheid was a question of whites not getting along with blacks, everything is honky-dory now. You know, we're fine, you can vote, you know, everyone is happy, you know. Remember, for example, uh, you know, the apartheid regime came up with something called, um, um, okay, I can't remember, but blacks were not allowed to marry whites. Yeah, or you can't have a relationship. In fact, you can't have sex across the, 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 the racial line. Okay. But now, with the new system, you can. So, you know, everyone is happy. Yeah. <laughs> Race relations. This is the best thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, let me talk a bit about the key moments in the struggle against apartheid. So, um, okay, although I want to start from 940 to focus in 948 you know because like i said although one could say british imperialism laid the foundation but the national party really came with some really weight and quite fundamental changes you know all this yeah yeah you know like the bantustan system independence for everyone yeah uh, they made radio station there was a zulu radio station pseudo radio station you know, education system for the Zulu, for the Corsa, for the Bed, just just mad. Yeah, yeah. Flats all over the place. Yeah, prime ministers, parliaments. You can just imagine. <laughs> so, but I'll talk a bit about uh, a timeline. So, in 1912, the African National Congress was formed in 1912. Okay. Uh, because they were worried that the land was being taken away from them. Because in 1910, so what happened is that uh, in 1886, gold was discovered. So it was discovered in the wrong place from the point of view of the British, in, a, in the Transvaal Republic run by the Afrikaners. So there was a war, you know, the British wanted that, that gold yeah, and then in 1910, they created the new South Africa called the Union of South Africa. So, British imperialism tried to make peace with the Afrikaners, but at the expense of the black people. So they said, okay, we whites, we're making peace now, the Anglo-Poor War is over, this is the fight, uh, but black people in their place. So, you know, the ANC was formed, uh, mainly by African elite, the first educated black people. Big Sligaseme was a doctor. The first leader was Dr. John Dube and people like that. Some of them, they studied, you know, with uh, T. Washington. You know, there's that movement of training black people. Yeah, they came over here. Uh, you know, so there is a long history. A lot uh, unites us, actually. Yeah. Okay. 
And then another important event, in 1922, the white workers, miners, went on strike. They were worried that jobs were being given now to black people. So this was a full-scale rebellion, and the government of Jan Smarts uh, actually crushed the strike. Uh, they killed 200 people. Yeah, because this was an armed revolt by the white workers. But they were marching, at least one, one banner said, unite and fight for a white South Africa. So that was the problem. Okay, then 46, there was a black miner strike. Uh, 949, because of the strike, the leaders of the ANC, who up to so far had been using, let's say, gentlemanly methods of striking, sending delegations to the Queen of England, signing petitions, saw the mine, mine workers strike, black mine workers in 46, and there was this turn to the masses. So now the middle class people felt we need the power of ordinary workers to push. Yeah. But it is important to, no to note that this turn of the masses to the masses by the African National Congress, which was led by the middle class or the black petty bourgeoisie, also showed a misalignment between you know, the ANC leaders' politics and of the working class. So for example, during the height of the, the strike, you know, they were still sitting, working out what to do. It's only afterwards that they decided to turn to the masses. So there is a lot of this misalignment, which I'm going to talk about, where you know, there is a radicalization of the middle class, but it's always slightly out of sync with that of the, of the working class. Yeah. Okay, so it goes on, 1955, defiance campaign, 1960, there was a Sharpeville massacre, and then, as I said, 1973, there was the Deben strike. Now, between the Sharpeville massacre, which was in 1961, and 1973, there was a lull in the struggle, because after the people were shot, 61 people were shot dead, who were marching against the passes, the, the government banned the ANC and banned the PAC, the Pan-Africanist Congress, which actually had led the strike, okay, uh, the march. So there was a lull, and the ANC and the PAC, they went into exile and organized guerrilla warfare, yeah. But if you know South Africa, it's hard to have a guerrilla strike there, you know, like urban areas, yeah, okay. And then in 1976, it was June 16, the students, uh, high school students, and then the last push against apartheid was from 1984 to 1987, when uh, there was a mass movement, uh, you know, and then Mandela was released in 1990. So, when we look at all this which happened, according to the ANC, you know, they analyze it in this way, they say, the struggle was waged through what they call the four pillars of the struggle. It's just useful to think of it that way. One, there was an international anti-apartheid movement. You know, many people in the world didn't like apartheid. I think in Chicago, there must have been an anti-apartheid group in the UK, etc. Thank you. Um, there was uh, the international sports boycott, 
you know, Dennis Brutus was leading that. Um, uh, Pepsi Cola lost out because, you know, there was boycott and disinvestment. So Pepsi Cola, you know, pulled out as a good company. But Coca-Cola continued, you know, yeah, so they never recovered that market share, yeah. Um, there was also the arm struggle, but the arm struggle was only symbolic. As I said, it was hard to have a urban guerrilla. In fact, most of the guerrillas got caught, yeah. And then an underground, and then the mass struggle. So the problem with the NC is that because they focused on the guerrilla strategy, they didn't focus on the mass strategy inside the country, on the trade unions. So when the ANC came back, you know, their methods tended to be secretive, centralist, and not really popularly democratic. Yeah, yeah, so like imposing, as if they're running an army. Yeah. Okay, uh, but one thing which I want to emphasize about what was happening inside the country that developed what I call a progressive tradition where workers, township folk, you know, fought together, they combined and they created, uh, let's say, working class organs of democracy and strategy, street committees, uh, civics, it's called civics, so people met and discussed the struggle, uh, they talk about how to run their street, so it was quite vibrant. And I remember clearly, it was very accountable, you know, if you attend a meeting, the first question was, comrade, uh, who do you represent? Yeah, so you had to represent a constituency, and then if you don't, they say you represent your own jacket. So there's a, a vibrancy. And then it is in the context of that struggle that an alternative vision developed. So people wanted a democratic system which would be the opposite of apartheid. Because there were women uh, 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 or female comrades as part of the struggle, so uh, they developed this vision of women equality because there were gay people uh, lesbians who were part of the struggle they develop a strong support for gay lesbian rights yeah so many things uh, developed the beauty of our struggle was that many positive uh, policies visions developed from this struggle from this progressive tradition even the idea of worker control of trade unions developed at this time, yeah, and reaching out between labor and community. So my last point is that, but as the pressure on apartheid increased, the big bosses, capital, felt that rather than lose everything, that is, you know, have the masses overthrow apartheid and capitalism, it is better to put pressure on the regime to make a deal with the forces, okay? So they tried, they talked to someone called Gajab Telezi, you know, but he had no support. So in the end, they decided to go and meet with the ANC. So they had these negotiations with the ANC, and then the ANC came in 
Of course, even when the ANC came in, they were hoping it would lose the first election. But in the build-up to the election, uh, the ANC was asked to hold back and contain the strategy. So this goes back to my point that the leadership of the ANC was a bit out of sync, out of tune with this grassroots democracy on the ground. So that, that, that divergence of strategy, this desire to hold back the strategy away from socialism because the bosses don't want socialism explains the outcome where we got the vote, we got our rights, we've got a black government, but the economy remains in the hands of the big bosses. So in the last month in parliament they are passing a, a bill, a law called nationalization of the land without compensation because there is pressure that you know our land must come back so i would say that the victory against apartheid was incomplete because in the fight you know we got rid of bad race relations we got rid of race legalized racism but the economy was left in the hands of the big bourgeoisie so the struggle continues in South Africa. Thank you. The preceding program was a production of WeAreMany.org, a website dedicated to publishing radical and activist media that promotes a better understanding of today's world while also putting forward a vision for a better future. We Are Many is a project of the Center for Economic Research and Social Change. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org.